Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. I wonder how many of you were thinking what I was thinking. How do I get a hold of some of those blast bucks? Oh, well, you get, apparently they get thrown at you. Thank you, Pastor Jimmy. Hey, kiddos, did all of you get your listening guide? Great. Great. You know what I love? That you're listening. And can I just remind you, you're an important part of our worship gathering. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. Or, um, we know that God has called all of us to gather, together, to worship together, to exalt his son Jesus together, to listen to his word together. And so kiddos, I want you to know, we're glad you're in this room and you are important to the family of God. And we want you to listen just along with the rest of us. If you are new with us today, if this is your first or second or third time walking through these doors for worship, or even your first and second time, maybe just with a First Baptist family, maybe you worshiped in traditional last week, I just wanna say thank you so much for worshiping with us. Uh, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I have the privilege of, of preaching in Lagos and overseeing a few other things in our church family. But it is so good to have you here. Uh, we would love for you to let us know that you were here. And the simplest way to do that is to go to fbcsa.org connect. Uh, you can even do that right now on your device. But that's just a simple way to say, hey, I worshiped with you today and gives us an opportunity to reach out with you at a later date, which we really want to do um, as well. Um, our mission statement in our church family um, is this. We exist to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with him. How many of you have seen or heard that before? A few of you. Um, we're gonna say that every time we gather. Um, and my challenge for all of us, uh, I think it's a phenomenal mission statement. I think it really captures who we want to be as God's people, his local people in this city. Um, and it really captures his mission for us. So would you memorize that along with me? Um, so in a few weeks, I'm gonna test you. It's not gonna be on the screen. Um, and we're gonna see how well we do. But that's, that's who we are and who we desire to be as his people. It's First Baptist Church right here in the heart of the city. Um, we have been in Job for a number of weeks. I believe this week is week 
9. We find ourselves in the latter half of Job 19 last week. Um, we have been sitting with Job in the midst of his incredible suffering, suffering most of us have never even begun to experience in our own life. Um, we have sat with him in his, uh, his desperate questions and complaints to a God that he loves and has trusted his whole life. He was a man who was blameless, who sought hard after the Lord, and yet he has found him place on the recipient end of suffering, and his whole worldview has been just thrown upside down. Uh, along with his friends, who have not been all that comforting, um, he has um, lived with the worldview that when you seek God, when you love God, uh, when you seek to honor God with your life and your words and your practices, and then, then you're going to be blessed in your life, that good things happen. Um, but if you choose to reject God, ignore God, and go your own way, then, then you receive the judgment of God, or suffering happens. And so Job experiencing this incredible amount of suffering uh, has been committed all the way through chapter 19, that I have done nothing wrong to deserve this kind of judgment or suffering that I'm experiencing, while his friends have been getting louder and louder, clamoring and clamoring even more, and pointing at Job and saying, no, surely you have done something to deserve this kind of suffering in your life. And so this is where we find Job, where he is speaking very frankly and clearly to his friends. It's hard to call them friends at this point because they've been no comfort at all. There's a lesson there for us, right? That when we come alongside those who are suffering in our own life, that we don't point fingers and make accusations. We listen, we're present, and we comfort as best we can. We leave the rest of that to the Lord. But they've done none of that. And so Job is about to say some very direct and frank things to those friends who have gathered around him and have accused him all along since the very beginning. And so um, I'm going to read um, Job chapter 19, beginning in verse 20, all the way through 29. And if you would just listen along with me. Um, whatever you need to do to listen, if you need to close your eyes and to receive this word, but again, I've said all along, Job is poetry. It is meant to be read out loud and to received uh, and to be heard. So we're gonna do that beginning in verse 20. Remember, the first parts of these verses, Job has lamented his incredible loneliness. Uh, he has been incredibly alone, abandoned by everybody, friends, family, even his own God. And so this is where we pick up in verse 20. 20. I have been reduced to skin and bones and have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me, my friends. Have mercy for the hand of God has struck me. Must you also persecute me like God does? Haven't you chewed me up enough? Oh, that my words could be recorded. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument, carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead, engraved forever in the rock. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will 
See him with my own eyes? I am overwhelmed at that thought. How dare you go on persecuting me saying, it's his own fault. You should fear punishment yourselves for your attitude deserves punishment. Then you will know that there is indeed a judgment. Father, Lord, we're grateful that we are yours. You have purchased us with the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And we're grateful, Lord, as your children, we are recipients of your word. So by your spirit, help us to see and to listen and to obey. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Well, again, we're in the middle of Job's sufferings, his serious questions, his frustrations with his friends, And yet, in the midst of all that, Job seems pretty confident and certain about a number of those things. I want to mention two of them that we see in the text. Um, And then also, I want to mention and draw attention to two kind of unspoken things that are underneath uh, these certainties or confidences that Job has, that I believe undergird his theology and his thinking and his hope that he has in God, regardless of what he's experiencing right now in his own life. And I'm gonna kind of start in the middle. And, and before I do, just an aside, um, in, in my preparation this week, um, just reminded of just how difficult and challenging some of this Hebrew to English really is. Um, it's just really hard. Some of these words in the Hebrew and finding uh, uh, what, what are they really trying to convey? What were the writers, writer really trying to convey into English? And so to say uh, these words that way we have here have not come without a lot of sweat and tears probably and a lot of prayer on behalf of translators. We're grateful for them. They're, we have translators doing incredible work all over the world even now to bring the word of God to people who don't have it in their own language. But it's not an easy job. And all that to say is our tendency when we read, especially um, verse 25 and even 26, 25 is my redeemer lives uh, and 26 after my body has decayed, all very challenging uh, Hebrew uh, there. Um, this side of the gospel Um, As his church, we can read those verses and very quickly interpret them or put over upon them a lens of the gospel. In other words, when Job is writing about his redeemer living, he's talking about the Messiah. Well, that's not necessarily the case, and we probably shouldn't jump to that conclusion. Um, And also, when he's talking about uh, his body and seeing God again in his body, oh, he's probably talking about the resurrection. That's probably not the case. Uh, And so we want to do the best we can trying to understand what was Job trying to convey, or the writer of Job's story trying to convey with these words, knowing um, that Job probably didn't have a very clear concept of, of, or he might not have been talking directly about the Messiah that's been promised. might be talking about something else. But it's good for us to be able to see, well, regardless of what Job may have specifically been intending in these verses or in these words, we can clearly see that they will ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And that's a good practice for us. But we're gonna try to figure out what is Job trying to say to us 
in these verses right now as if he were being, if you were reading them to people then as best we can. All right. I'm going to start in the middle. Verses 26 and 27 reads this. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Um, in these verses, when he's talking about his own body decaying, as best we can understand, Job is referring to when my suffering has reached its fullness, when it is complete, whether he's alive or dead. He's talking about when this is done, when all of this that is being done to me is full and complete, he trusts that he will see God, which is pretty profound. Job is certain in the midst of all of this, now think about this. Job is certain that in the midst of all of his suffering, all of the loneliness and being abandoned by friends and family and even his own God, he would still come back and say, and yet I'm confident I will see my own God, I will see him, and I trust that even though it feels like he's left me, my God has not abandoned me. That's pretty profound. That he would walk through this degree of suffering and still hold on to and cling to that hopeful thought that God has not walked away from me. Pretty profound. I I don't know about you, but I'm very pain averse. Any of you pain averse? I mean, God designed our bodies to be pain averse. That's why we have all these nerves that indicate to us when we hurt, like we gotta step away from that situation. It lets us know that harm is being done. So God has made us in some ways to be pain averse. But listen, I I walk away from pain. I don't walk towards pain. Um, That's why I don't do massages, no matter how often Anna's like, let's do a couple's massage. I'm like, I'm not into it because listen, I was in China once. I went to to a masseuse, this guy, and um, the people there were like, oh, these, they're awesome. Well, I was in pain for an hour. I mean, like elbow in the back kind of pain. I'm like, not again. Listen, I am pain, pain averse, right? I had a bad experience, someone drawing my blood. I mean, that's not a pleasant experience anyway, but I'm, as, as best I can, I'm not getting my blood drawn again. I, but we're pain averse. But here we find Job in the midst of incredible suffering, incredible suffering, suffering of which most of which could not even begin to imagine. And he is saying, listen, I am not walking away from my God. I'm gonna continue to run towards him. We've seen a little bit throughout Job, even though he has huge questions for God, even, even though he uh, is uncertain about the motivations of God, all along the way, he has longed for the renewed fellowship that he had with God. He's not walking away. He continues to walk forward, but mostly because he is convinced my God has not walked away from me and I will indeed see him again. It's why we have this profound verse in Job 13, 15, that though he may kill me, my hope is in the Lord. Your versions, though he may slay me, my hope is in in God because he he is convinced that he will see the Lord. God has not walked away from him. In fact, um, God has not abandoned him, and Job is committed to running towards the Lord. Pretty amazing through all of that. So that's the first kind of 
certainty or confidence that Job's had, Job's, Job has is that I'm gonna see him at the end of all of this suffering, when all the suffering has reached its fullness, whether in life or in death, I'm going to see my God and it overwhelms me to consider that thought. The second certainty, which obviously is tied to the one that's kind of in the middle. These verses obviously all belong together. I started in the middle. Um, but what is he convinced of the context in which he will see his God again? What will God be doing uh, when he sees his God once his suffering has reached his fullness? So let's back up to verse 23. Oh, that my words could be recorded. Oh, that they could be inscribed on the monument, carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead, engraved forever in the rock. What is, what is Job trying to get after, all right? Now remember, Job has been on the recipient end of a bunch of harmful, hurtful, discomforting words from his friends who have constantly over and over again accused Job of sin and wrongdoing out of which he has received this suffering and judgment from the Lord. And Job has been pretty consistent too. No, I have not sinned in a particular kind of way that would have led to this kind of judgment from the Lord. Job claims his innocent from the very beginning to even now. He is committed to his testimony as to what's happening or why or why not it's happening, right? He's been committed the whole time. And so he's saying, can you just mark my words? Can you, can we just, I wish we could put my testimony, my words in stone so that it can never be forgotten, so that my testimony can never be forgotten, whether I'm at the very end of my rope or, or uh, in death, I want my testimony to last. I want my testimony to last. It's kind of like saying, um, again, I just said it, mark my words. Interesting enough, I, I, I did some research on that idiom, mark my words. It comes from the 16th century. Uh, it was first used uh, in, uh, when uh, Coverdale was translating the scriptures. It, he was actually a part of the first complete translation of the English scriptures in this, the 16th century. And in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 23, uh, God is speaking, and they translate from the Hebrew uh, that God says, mark my words, which is pretty cool. Um, so that's where that phrase comes from. And what is God saying in Isaiah right there? Uh, mark my words, this is coming. Remember what I have said today because I am certain of its fulfillment. This is what Job is saying. I want you to remember what I'm saying today because my testimony will stand. I am certain of it. I am certain of it. Mark my words. Or we might say something like that. Don't say I didn't tell you, right? Something like that. I want you to remember, hold on to that because I'm certain of what is about to come. And then we have this um, 
verses 24 or 25, that powerful phrase that resonates with so many of us. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. In verse 26, and after my body is decayed, yet in my body I'll see God. I just read that earlier. Um, But if we jump down to verses 28 and 29... Job continues, how dare you go on persecuting me, talking to his friends, saying, it's his own fault. Verse 29, you should fear punishment yourselves for your attitude deserves punishment. Then you will know that there is indeed judgment. What in the world is going on here? What does Job mean by, um, but as for me, I know that my redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth, especially after just talking about Remember my words, mark my words. I want my testimony to last. Why would he say something like this? This is what I think Job is trying to convey for us. When when all is said and done, I know that my God will stand on earth at last. And God will have the last word. God will have the last word. God will have the final and last say about your words and my words. That God will be the judge between your accusations and my testimony of innocence. And so here we find Job putting all of his hope, he's banking on that one day at the fullness of his suffering, when all words and accusations and claims of innocence have been said that his God, he will see his God and his God will be the ultimate and final judge as to whether or not what he has said is true. And that word that we have, redeemer, it's similar, or back the same word that we have in Ruth, where we have that phrase, kinsman redeemer. And the best way to kind of understand that is as a vindicator, right? And then Job is saying that I'm confident that I will see my God, he will be on the earth at last, and he will be my vindication. And I can't wait I want my words etched in stone. I want my testimony etched in stone. Mark my words because God is coming and he is the final last judge as the validity of my words. And he's confident that God will vindicate him in front of his friends. Not only, not only, but he issues a warning to his friends when that day comes, you're the ones that should be fearful of the Lord's judgment, not me. Hefty warning, for your attitude deserves judgment, punishment, then you will know that there is indeed a judgment. And so these two certainties in Job's heart and mind as he's thinking about his own suffering and its fullness and completion, even if it ends in death, these certain I'm gonna see the Lord, and when I see him, he's gonna be coming in judgment, and he will be my vindication. And he's gonna bring judgment against you who've accused me the whole time. God is his hope. He's got nowhere else to go. Everyone else has left him and abandoned him. And even though he has felt like God has abandoned him, God is his last and final hope that justice will be done. 
the wrongs will be made right. And those who have accused me will be put in their place and they will be on the recipient end of, your, of God's judgment. But what's underneath these verses? Um, what undergirds these certainties that Job has that are as equally as profound, I think? The first is this. That Job is holding on to the thought that God actually cares about him as an individual. That God is actually even interested in the case. It's almost assumed, isn't it? That, that Job is making an appeal or even warning his friend, listen, I have a God who cares about my innocence or guilt here. I have a God who's engaged and invested in me as an individual. It's a conviction that he has about God that undergirds or is underneath these other truths about his confidence of seeing God on that last day, the, the, the completion of his own suffering. His, he is convicted that his God is of a kind of God that cares for him as an individual. We know that's true. Jesus confirms those truths. If we were to go to the, that great sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter six, verses 28 through 30, what does Jesus say? Gosh, if God, if God cares for the, flowers of the field and the sparrow, how, how much more do you think he cares about you? And the conclusion that Jesus is wanting us to come to in that sermon is a lot. I mean, the son of God is saying, listen, God is not this aloof, distant, kind of set in motion kind of God and step away kind of God. God is engaged and cares about you, Job, or he cares about you. We need that kind of conviction underneath us, don't we? Some of you guys are going through some stuff and your, your world feels out of whack. I mean, the world is out of whack. But to know that we have a God who hasn't stepped away but cares and cares about you That was undergirding Job's theology and thoughts about God and hope for the future. He was trusting in the nature and character of God that he cares for him. So um, we, we put this kind of stuff into practice all the time, even though we don't understand what's going around in our life. Uh, we can trust the nature and character of someone, Right? Um, so I've been married, it'll be 20 years in, uh, in May. And I think it's safe to say that I know Anna pretty well and she knows me pretty well. Anna's a, uh, in my experience, is a trustworthy person. I know she cares for me. She's my greatest champion and advocate in all of life. Um, she is my partner, uh, teammate, whatever you wanna use, Anna is. I mean, she's phenomenal, right? And I know these to be true about Anna, um, 
because I've experienced that and I, I've heard her say these things out of her own mouth. I, I, I have the conviction about the nature of Anna's character. But let's just imagine for a moment. And this actually kind of happened to me uh, when I was in seminary. I was on the highway, Highway 20. I was actually on my way home from visiting to her. She lived in Arlington and I was on my way back to seminary campus at Southwestern and I was driving and in my rear view mirror, there was this um, car and it was just a speck, but I could see it kind of like weaving in and out of the road like this. And it was getting bigger, I mean, quickly. And this, it was very clear that this person's driving behavior was reckless and erratic. I mean, it scared me enough that I wanted to get off the road as quickly as possible. But what if as exiting the road and taking that exit, the car speeds past me and I notice something? Anna's in that car. Anna's the driver, right? She's driving recklessly. Now, now I could come to the conclusion oh my goodness, I can't trust, I can't trust her. I mean, it's just reckless and erratic. But there's a problem with that. I know Anna, right? I know she's a trustworthy person. I know she cares about people. And so I can either come to the conclusion of, nope, can't trust her. Or maybe I say, if Anna's driving that way, she probably has a good reason to do it. And I don't know it. I don't know why she's weaving in and out of traffic and trying to get somewhere as quickly as possible. But I can trust her. And that's what Job is having to do here. He's like, in all sense and purposes, it it seems as if God is just being reckless with everything, that God doesn't care. But Job Job knows that not to be true. He knows the character and nature of God. And he says, listen, I know God has not abandoned me, even though it feels like he has. I know that God is not reckless because I know that he is good and I know that he cares. And even though he doesn't understand why God is doing something, he can trust in the character and nature of God that he likely has a good reason for it in the same way that I can trust Anna has a good reason for it to drive 95 miles an hour down the highway. That's what the scripture teaches us. And that's what I believe Job held onto. That was underneath these confidences or certainties that he would see God when God would return in final judgment and be his vindicator. The second thing that I think is underneath these certainties of Job that we see in these verses is that because Job knew the nature and character of God, he learned to leave things to God to handle. What do I mean by that? These last two verses of chapter 19, where Job says, I'm gonna warn you now, friends, God's judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming. I think it's very important for us to know that Job did not take matters into his own hands, but he left them to the Lord. 
even though he issued a warning to his friends, ultimately said, this matter, this matter of judgment is in the hands of the Lord. He didn't take matters into his own hands. This is a very important thing for us to know. Uh, Paul said something about this too in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17 through 21. Paul says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Then verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals of shame on their heads, hopefully leading them to repentance. 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Doing good in this case means leaving it to God. Trusting God to do the hefty living, lifting when it comes to bringing his judgment. You, that's not your role, but leave that to God. I believe Job um, believes that God cares and that he will have the final say, and that allows him to leave everything in the hands of God. In this case, his friends. I'm going to leave you in the Lord's hands. That doesn't mean that we abandon the pursuit of justice on this side of eternity, or we give up righting wrongs, or we become doormats. I'm just going to leave it to God and you can say and do whatever you want to me. I'm just gonna leave it to God. It doesn't mean we become doormats. It doesn't mean that we're inactive or we're just passive all the time and I'm a Christian, I just love my enemy and it's not what that necessarily means. But our convictions about the nature and character of God that we can leave it to him to, because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We can leave it to him um, and our convictions about the gospel, um, that Jesus has died for our sin and risen from the grave, that we've been forgiven and we can forgive others. But it frees us to live and love people full of grace and with forgiveness towards others. Um, what do I mean by that? How does that work out? How does leaving it in the hands of God in the same way that Job has left judgment in the hands of God, what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus? Well, a few scenarios. Um, when you're unsatisfied with a particular service, I don't know, restaurant or car service, who knows? Just if you're unsatisfied with service, you can leave that in the hands of God. You have the choice whether to ream someone, put them in their place, or you can leave that in the hands of the Lord. And when you leave that in the hands of the Lord, it frees you to be gracious and kind. It doesn't mean you avoid what's happened. It just means you can do it differently. You can address it differently. Rather than yelling and putting a person in their place, you know, you come towards a person with grace and forgiveness and you might be surprised when you treat people with kindness and gentleness, even in the face of a wrong, what'll happen. I mean, that's what 
scriptures say, right? Um, when someone has said untrue things about you or have gossiped about you, you can leave it in the hands of God. That's absolutely true, folks. We do not have to respond in kind. Uh, we don't have to destroy someone's nature and character online or in person, even if they have said untrue or gossiped about us. You can leave that in the hands of God. And trusting in the nature and character of God, and especially as a follower of Jesus, we can say, uh, God's got this. He can do a better job than me anyway. And that frees you up to be gracious towards that person rather than unkind and unforgiving. Leave it in the hands of God. That's what Job was doing. I'm gonna leave it. God's gonna be the final judge over this. I'm gonna let God do that, not me. When someone has posted something vile and untrue, you can leave it in the hands of God. You don't have to comment back, right? You don't have to spew back. Leave it in the hands of God. And that frees you up to be gracious and kind. Not to avoid it, not to be passive, but it allows you to address it in the kind of way that honors God's grace rather than tramples God's grace. When someone has hurt someone you love, even then you can leave it in the hands of God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And again, that frees you to be a person of love and forgiveness and grace. And who knows that your gracious response, when you leave it and entrust it to God, what you might be doing to the person on the receiving end of that. Listen, we aren't responsible to repay people to get them back. We're responsible to leave it in the Lord's hands. He will always have the last word or he's already taking care of it in the gospel. If you're upset with a fellow follower of Jesus, has that follower of Jesus's sin already been paid for? Yes or no? Yes. Do I have any right to hold that over them anymore if it's already been paid for by Jesus? No, it doesn't mean I avoid addressing it. It just means how I address it changes. It means I'm no longer trying to get, get them back or stick it to them or, man, really call them that phrase or that name. It, it means I, I address it where the need is rather than trying to take vengeance in my own hands. Listen, this is a game changer in relationships. It's a game changer at home and marriages, Right? Because offenses happen. But if I can go ahead and entrust that offense to the work of Christ, that means I don't have to take that on myself. And I can forgive and act graciously rather than trying to get Anna back or put her in her place, right? No, I can be kind and gentle and we can talk about the issue the offense, but I can do it in a way that honors her and honors the Lord. Listen, your faith and love for Jesus ought to produce a gospel aroma. And we as followers of Jesus respond and treat people differently because we are different. We are different. 
We can be gracious and kind to those who hurt us because that is what Christ has done for us and empowers us to do by the Spirit of God. In the same way that Job was convinced and knew that God cared for him, he knew that he could entrust things to the Lord. Christian, may we do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, the life and testimony of Job captured here in this book of poetry. Um, Lord, regardless of what life throws our way, may we share the same convictions that Job has. Even in the midst of all of our questions and uncertainties as to why, but may we trust that you are good and that you care and that you're big enough that we can leave matters into your own hands. In Jesus' name we pray.